What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of Off the Dome Radio. We have a very exciting and special guest for you today. His name is Ryan Mickler, and he is the founder of Order of Man. If you are not familiar with this podcast and or message, go get familiar. This guy is on fire, and he was a blast and an honor to have on our show. So we start off with his background, kind of who he is, how he got to where he is today. Uh, so we talk a little bit about his, his military background and then his job prior to starting Order of Man and how some of the things he did to market himself in that job fueled quite nicely into marketing for Order of Man. And so he talks about the skill sets required and some key elements that have really attributed to his exponential growth. He talked about very good business growth with Order of Man, uh, what he did to do that and how that has really taken off in the last few years and how that is now his full-time gig. So that's pretty sweet uh, to hear that, how he's chasing his passion. And one thing he really gave us was just get started. Uh, just getting started and consistency. Those are probably the two of the biggest things that he was hammering is, uh, you know, he made the notion he's not good enough to not be consistent. So I really took that to heart as well, but also just getting started, left foot, right foot. Uh, he told us his friend Sal Frisella uh, gave him that one, just left foot, right foot. That's how we keep on moving. And so it might seem, seem simple, but this guy is just really putting into, into practice and finding a lot of success with that. Uh, Tim, what do you think about our interview with Ryan? Yeah, I was locked in the entire time. I could have listened to Ryan talk for hours. He gave <laughs> a lot of good insight. I was I was just impressed with how he got into just the podcasting realm. At first, he was in financial planning, um, and he used kind of the podcasting concept as a way to make better qualified appointments. Mm-hmm. Like he, he said he went to Staples and, and recorded um, his services on a cd and sent them out to people and people were a lot more educated going into that first meeting than what people did and how his podcast was at first for like financial planning like themed um and how he transitioned that into a podcast on how to be um, a better man and defining what masculinity is and i asked him that question in the interview and just him explaining that it, it makes it makes so much sense and it's something that we can build on when we're creating relationships with our family, our wives, our girlfriend, our loved ones, anybody who's important to us, how to be a good person for them. Um, so we talk about that. Um, we discuss like different thing, obstacles he's had to overcome through business, um, pivots he's had to make because in entrepreneurship, that's the name of the game is how do you respond to failure? How do you mm-hmm. respond to obstacles? And he goes deep into that and explains some some interesting stories there. Um, and then one thing that I found very insightful for me is we ask him like, how do you balance your fa- time with your family, um, dedicating time to your business, um, growing your business? Because he works out of his house, so he's around his family all the time. So how does he draw boundaries but still become be a great involved father for them? So I really I really value that part. What he had to say there and. What's, what's cool is I found out about him because my older brother told me to listen to his podcast mm. and, and how like when we interviewed him, I was, I was talking to my brother, I was like, hey, we're interviewing this guy now. So it's, yeah. it's great to, to get in touch with someone like Ryan um, who, who has such an awesome podcast and has changed so many lives um, through his podcast. And um, yeah, it was a great interview. I know a lot of people are going to get uh, some good value from this. Um, you got anything else? I mean, it was just to your point, I had, I had a friend tell me 
about his podcast a while back, and so it was cool for me to tell him, like, hey, we had him on our show too. And so mm-hmm. just, just very grateful for him taking some time um, to be on our show and give us some insights as well. And because I know we, that's his business time too. Um, and uh, just very appreciative for him taking the time to do that. And we even asked, like, is there any anything we can do for you? Any value we can provide? And he was just appreciative for sharing his message on another platform. So it's a great message, I think. I think there's a lot, a lot of value in this as well. Very powerful message. And big on just being present. Like, just be present. Um, with your family, your kids, your husband, your wife, your girlfriend, whatever it may be. Just be present, uh, be there, and be consistent. So without further ado, may we proudly introduce Ryan Mickler. So yeah, we're, uh, we can roll any time, brother. So uh, yeah, if you just want to give us a little, little background and we'll keep going. Yeah. Uh, you Order a man, is that what you're saying? Order, background of Order of Man? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so I started Order of Man in 2015. I mean, really, look, I, I started it selfishly. You know, a lot of people ask, you know, like, why did you start it? And what was your grand plan? It was really just selfishly. I wanted to improve myself as a man. And uh, I had another podcast at the time. It was a financial planning podcast geared towards helping medical professionals with their financial services and realized I really loved the medium of podcasting, but I didn't want to continue to have that same financial conversation. So pivoted about that time and really wanted to have some great conversations with men that I admired and respected and looked up to and uh, started Order of Man in March of 2015 with, with the goal of talking with these guys and making these conversations available to everybody else. And uh, man, it's just really taken off, which is a testament to not, not me or anything that, that I've been doing, but just how needed the messages in society to uh, reclaim and restore masculinity. So yeah, we do the podcast. We've got live events that we run. We've got uh, a brotherhood called the Iron Council, where men are, are getting together and pushing each other and challenging each other and coming up with strategies for growth and success and multiple different fronts. So it's really been a powerful thing over the past five years. I think I've been the, the greatest recipient of it. As much as I think I'm helping others, they're certainly helping me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. I've been following your story on Instagram and I, I admire what you did with that barn, that transformation into what it is now and, and, how, yeah. and how, how you host that gathering. That's, that's so awesome to see. Yeah, we started those events in, uh, it must have been 2016 or 2017. And we were using a, uh, a lodge in Southern Utah, which was great. It was a great setup. But to be here and to be able to have it on my property in our barn is really rewarding and, and fulfilling. So mm-hmm. it's cool. I, I'm, I'm glad that you like it. It's, it's, that barn is one of the major selling points of this home that we bought. Mm-hmm. And, and your first, I think your first event you posted one time where it didn't necessarily go as financially as, as you thought it might, how has it kind of evolved from the first one into how they are now in terms of that, but also in terms of maybe what you do within the event? Yeah, well, the first one, not that it wasn't great financially, like it just didn't, it, we didn't even have it. Okay. <laughs> like, so I, uh, I, I was, I was pretty pretty hasty in my execution of that first event. I, I remember one evening, my wife and I were just talking about this the other day, in fact, but one evening, I think I woke up or, or we were going to bed or I woke up in the middle of the night and I'm like, man, we should do events where we have guys come out here and we can like push them through mentally and emotionally and physically difficult things. And 
she probably at the time was like, whatever, just go back to bed. And, but I wrote it down. I wrote it down. I usually carry either I have my phone right by my nightstand or field notes. And in fact, like I have, I, I have field notes like everywhere in the house mm. because as I think of things, I'm like, oh, I got to write that down. Yeah. And if I don't, like I, I, I fear that I've forgotten more great ideas than I've actually implemented because mm. I haven't written it down. So I keep these everywhere. I wrote it in my field notes and I think the next, maybe in the next couple of days, I uh, found a lodge in a uh, in, in mountain town, I guess you'd say in Southern Utah. And I put an offer in or not an offer. I put a, put a, uh, put a down payment in on the, on the property to, to secure it for a weekend and uh, went to work on trying to get people to come. I didn't even know what we were going to do at the time. And I'm glad now, but at the time it was really frustrating. I didn't have a single person sign up. Mm-hmm. and we were I want to say we were two nobody at all is coming to this thing and I just I need to I need to cancel the event he's like oh man that sucks you're gonna lose your deposit <laughs> so <laughs> I was like well fortunately at the time he had just bought that that lodge and he was trying to rebrand it and build it up and I said well look I don't want to lose my deposit would you be willing to secure my deposit and apply it towards me using the property in two or three months. And he's like, yeah, we can do that. He's like, it's a little more expensive at that, at that time. Cause it's just in the season. And so the price is a little higher than what it is now, but I'll take, I'll take your deposit and apply it towards that. So he's actually really good to work with. And, um, yeah, man, I just went back to the drawing board and, and figured out how to, how to, how to market it, how to pitch it, what we should be doing. And we had 20 guys sign up for the event. We call ourselves the terrible 20. Mm-hmm. And we had a really, a really cool event. Again, it was all designed around pushing, pushing ourselves physically, mentally, emotionally. And then you asked about how it's evolved. That was called the uprising. I think we did three or four of those. And then I felt the need to do something similar with fathers and their sons. So we did something very, very similar and we called it legacy 20 dads with 20 of their sons. And again, physically, mentally, emotionally challenging, working together, helping them forge tighter bonds. Uh, and then we moved out here to Maine from Southern Utah about six months ago. And uh, we're, we're going to be doing Legacy and Uprising. Uh, but I thought it would be a really cool thing to have kind of a house warming property, warming party, if you will. And that's why we transformed that barn. So mm-hmm. what they had done is they had had partitioned the entire barn house, this big, beautiful barn built in 1912. And they had partitioned the entire barn out and they were uh, leasing spaces in there. There was, I think there was six or seven spaces that they were leasing out, uh, for storage units. So me and my son and my wife and my other kids, like we, we were out there tearing the walls down. Um, I had a friend who, who's a friend now. He was just a listener at the time. Caleb Oliver asked if he could, uh, help in any form. So he came out and volunteered his time to run some electrical lights and outlets and things. Uh, and then we did what's, what's been dubbed the main event as in the state main. So the main event, mm. we had 65 guys out there. We've got another one coming wow. up next year and we sold out with a hundred guys for that. So like, wow. it just keeps growing and growing. It's pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I like, I like that you had the father and son aspect too. Cause I, I remember yeah. when I was in the scouts, we did, it was called, it was a weekend called dad and lad. Okay. And so cool. it's where, you know, you shoot bow and arrows, you learn how to use a compass and use like field maps and things. And so I think that's big because sometimes you don't see that connection as often as maybe we should. Um, and I know you talk about the importance of a father figure and how crucial that is with, with upbringing in general too. So I, I think that's a pretty sweet aspect that 
you don't see other people doing within their business. Yeah, there's, you know, there's some really disturbing statistics regarding young boys without fathers. You know, they're more likely to get into drug abuse, more likely to skip out of school, more likely to get into to crime and, and serve prison sentences. It's, it's, it's disturbing. And I only think that trend is increasing as we see more homes that are uh, operating without a father in it. So I really saw a need there to connect the men to their boys. The boys obviously need it. And what I was seeing is that these men felt disconnected from their sons and didn't quite know how to connect in a meaningful and significant way. Most of that I think stems from the fact that a lot of these guys didn't have their own father figures growing up. So they had to, you know, they didn't have dads and lads. It sounds Mm -hmm. like your dad was involved and Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of guys, dads are involved. And frankly, a lot of guys, dads aren't involved, which was my situation. And uh, I felt like if I would have learned some of those things, I'd be further down the track. So, you know, if we have, if we have an opportunity or, or something that we're good at or see an injustice or problem in the world, I feel like we have a moral obligation to throw our hat in the ring and attempt to solve those, those problems. And I had the platform to do it. It wasn't directly in alignment with our business and our business model and mission, although it, it tied in nicely and it's become an integral part of what it is now we're doing. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned, and going back to like just the concept and idea behind Order of Man, you mentioned restoring masculinity. So going back to that, like the mission, what does like masculinity mean to you? Like how, how do you define it? How have you allowed that to be a foundation for your business model and everything else? Yeah, I, I, you know, one of the questions I ask at the end of every podcast I do is what does it mean to be a man? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've asked that question now, I want to say over 250 times with the 250 guests that we've had on the podcast. We've had some incredible awesome. people. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. I, I appreciate that. But really, again, it's a testament to the guys that are tuning in and making this possible. Um, so when people ask me what it is, first, I'm, I'm like a little taken back. I'm like, hey, that's my question. But, <laughs> but, but second, um, you know, I've thought a lot about it and I've heard a lot of answers. And I think most of the answers, probably 90 plus percent of the answers, I, I wholeheartedly agree with. There's been some things I'm like, yeah, I don't know about that. But uh, ultimately, I believe what it means to be a man is that of a protector, a provider, and a presider. So somebody that protects himself, his loved ones, those who are incapable of protecting themselves, somebody who provides financially, uh, emotionally, spiritually, physically, and then preside leadership somebody who leads well, uh, wants to serve other people, his family, his neighbors, his community, maybe some, some sort of ecclesiastical service or uh, leadership within his, his career path and business. Uh, but ultimately, if a man can use his, some of what he's inherently born with and what's coursing through his veins and then some refinement, um, I believe that he's acting in accordance with being a man. Like it's not, some people fight back and they'll say, well, just, you know, you're, you're a man because of anatomy, right? Or you were born with, with the chromosomes to be a man. That, that's a prerequisite, certainly. But it goes well, well above and beyond just being born with, with a set of anatomy or a certain set of chromosomes. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, and I want to kind of back up a little bit, um, shift gears. So before you were in financial planning, uh, you were in uh, the military, correct? Yeah, I was in the National Guard. Okay. So uh, I, was, I was doing that on the weekends and, you know, we'd have two-week camps that we'd need to run or things like that. Uh, but my background is retail management. And then in 2005, 
Uh, my wife and I were newly married. We were married, uh, I want to say about six months, five, six months, and my unit got activated. And so I, uh, at that time, the National Guard transfers over and they become an army unit at that point. So army and then served a combat tour in Ramadi, Iraq in 2005 and 2006. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, first off, thank you for your service. Yeah, uh, my honor. My honor. Yeah, yeah. I, I work with uh, Marines. I'm very biased towards, towards vets for sure. Yeah, I mean, mo- most of them, the overwhelming majority of, of the veterans that I've met and been in contact with are incredible people and mm-hmm. just have some, some amazing work ethic and discipline and the virtues that we talk a lot about. Yeah, 100%. Um, so we can talk as much or as little as, as you like, but I'm interested in what some of the things that you learned in the military uh, have carried over into business life and if there's anything that, oh, I didn't know this would play a factor, anything that did surprise you that rolled over into uh, other areas that have really played a crucial part. Yeah, I mean, there's the, the, you know, the cookie cutter answers like discipline and hard work and I'm not dismissing those. Those, those are critical. But you can learn that in a lot of different places. Uh, for me, one of the things that was unique to the military, in my experience anyways, was while I was there in Iraq, it was really my, my job and responsibility to uh, oversee the security of the base itself. So we had observation posts dotted across the, uh, the perimeter. And as those observation posts would uh, see threats or you know, something strange or out of the ordinary, they would then direct that to us. We would take that information and then it, with, with all that information in hand and everything that we had going on, intel, things like that, we would make uh, a decision on how we respond to those threats or those things that are out of the ordinary. And, and it was interesting because the decisions that I was making and that the other guys in our section and unit were making were life or death decisions that if we made the wrong call or the bad call or made a mistake or messed up, then somebody, not only were they going to have a bad day, they could have died. And, and the weight that comes with knowing that if you make a bad call, that somebody loses their life, that somebody doesn't get to go home to their spouse, that somebody doesn't get to go home to their kids or live the life that they wanted to or fulfill all the dreams and aspirations they had goals of fulfilling, and it's your fault that goes to show you the weight of the way that we show up. And so I didn't fully anticipate that that would even be something, let alone something that would, that would translate into my life. Because I think most people, and I I say civilians, I don't say that condescendingly, but people that are not in the military, they don't play for keeps, right? So if they, and there's no consequences, society has buffered us from the consequences of our decisions. Right? If you're out of work because you don't do a great job working, well, you just go in and collect unemployment and everything will be fine. Uh, and, and you're expected that somebody else will take care of you. And, and opportunities, especially economic opportunities over the past several years have been abundant. You know, there's no real consequence to you screwing up. Uh, everybody's going to come in and rescue you and save you. And, and I've realized that the decisions I make from the way that I show up to uh, what microphone I'm using to how I uh, communicate my message, these little seemingly insignificant details. Uh, I, I play for keeps, man. Like, like this is real. This is not like a hobby or something just fun that I feel like doing. This is something that I, I legitimately believe will impact the world in a positive way. And I think a lot of that serious tone, although I know how to f- have fun too, that serious tone um, really came from, from the military and the stakes at which we were playing. Mm. 
And with that transition, because Tim and I talk a lot, a lot when we started this, we were in positions where we hated our jobs, hated our lives, you know, your eyelids open and you're like, all right, this is it another day. Right. Um, so how did that transition? I know you said you were in financial planning too, before order of man, where you just, you kind of have enough, like, oh, I am meant to do bigger, greater things. And, and what was that kind of mental shift in terms of mindset? And how did you actually put it into practice? Because I know a lot of people get like, they're stuck. They don't know, well, yeah. where do I even start? So how did you kind of apply that and, and put things into practice and what that look like for you? I mean, I, I'm going to maybe call that phrase out a little bit of like, I don't know where to start because mm -hmm. I kind of think that's bullshit. Okay. I'm, and I'm not saying that to you. I'm just saying, yeah. it, and look, I've been in that position too. I, I've said that. Like, I don't know what to do. And really, you do know what to do. You're just not doing it. So rather than not doing it, you say, I don't know what to do. And then that justifies or lets you off the hook do yeah. something. That's it. Just do something. So when I was in the financial planning practice, uh, I was having clients or I should say prospects come in and I would spend an hour with them and then they would decide whether or not they wanted to work with me and my conversion ratios, if that's how you want to look at it, were low. So I had this thought of like, like how can I improve my conversion ratio? Because what I'm doing is I'm like beating my head against the wall trying to convince these prospects that they should do business with me and they should allow me to manage their money. It's a big decision. And what I came to the conclusion of is that these people were, the, the reason the conversion rates were low is because these people didn't know me. They didn't know my message. They hadn't heard anything about me before. And so even if they liked what I had to say, they had to mull it over because this was the first time they'd been exposed to me uh, or the message that I was sharing. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool if I could if I could leverage myself and get these prospects information before we even met and that way they, when they came to the meeting, they would, uh, uh, they would be prepped, right? They, they probably wouldn't even come to the meeting if they weren't ready to take the next step. Mm -hmm. So I started to qualify my prospects. And the way that I did that is I went to Staples, I bought a bunch of blank CDs, I got a $60 microphone, and I just recorded my very first quote-unquote presentation. So it would be the presentation I would give to a prospect who came to meet with, meet with me for the first time. So I start handing these out. People who are interested, I'm like, cool, listen to this and let me know. Cool, here's your CD. Hey, when you're done with it, pass it to your neighbor or your friend. Uh, contact information's in there. If they want to get a hold of me, get a hold of me. And I thought, man, I'm going to close myself off, off to all these opportunities. But what was fascinating is I was having fewer first appointments but I was having a significantly better conversion ratio because they were already moving down the path when they came in to meet with me for the first time. And this was the moment that I realized how powerful audio could be. Podcasting, for example, has, has falls into that category. So as this started to work, I thought, okay, well, this is working. Like, what more can I do? And this is, I'm kind of answering your question in a roundabout way here is like, what do you do? You just do something. Like you have an idea, try it. You don't know if it's going to work. Just give it a try, just like I did with those events. I didn't know if it was going to work, but I tried it. I'm going to get more tactical for you here in a minute too. All good. So I thought, okay, well, this is working. So what about client retention? Because I noticed I was losing clients because I wasn't in contact with them. Um, you know, maybe, maybe another advisor had met with them and, and persuaded them to work with them instead of me. And so I was like losing clients. So I thought, okay, well, I got to seal things up on the front end, which is conversion ratios. And I got to seal things up on the back end, which is don't let clients leave once they become clients of yours. What can I do? 
And I thought, well, I'm using this audio on the front end and I could probably use audio on the back end. And so I actually started a podcast before Order of Man called Wealth Anatomy. And it was a financially related podcast to teach medical professionals, primarily veterinarians, dentists, chiropractor, uh, chiropractors, how to manage their money. So I put this up on iTunes and I remember the very first call I got from a pediatric physician and he calls me up and he says, hey, you know, I, I need disability insurance and here's what I need. And he listed everything that he needed in his disability insurance policy. Now, I don't know if you guys know anything about disability insurance or how much time you've spent, you know, just researching disability insurance for fun. I imagine is zero, <laughs> just like 99% of the population. This guy was prepared, which was strange. It was out of the ordinary. So mm -hmm. I said, hey, you know, like I can certainly help you, but you seem really well versed in this. And I thought maybe he was shopping around and that's how he knew the terminology and, and knew exactly what he wanted. And I said, do you mind if I ask how you know so much about disability insurance and exactly what you want? And he says, oh yeah, I just listened to your podcast and I just wrote down everything you told me I needed. Oh, wow. I was like, oh, light bulb, right? Like I already sold you prior to you giving me a call and you're just regurgitating what I told you I was, what was valuable. Mm -hmm. Now, I believe that that was accurate, but even if it wasn't accurate, he, was, he would have still been convinced, Yeah. which again teaches me how powerful our words and our messaging can be. So it started working. I started picking up new clients for the podcast, existing clients, would, would hear something and they'd call me up. Hey, like, I didn't know that was available. You, we're doing a Roth IRA, but can we talk about this other thing you talked on the podcast before? I mean, it was really working. And I realized I really enjoy the medium of podcasting. I just don't want to continue to have this financially related conversation. Mm -hmm. So to circle back to what we talked about in the very first part of it, it's like, why order a man? How did it start? Again, I thought, man, I'm really trying to grow my business. I'm trying to be a more connected husband. I'm trying to be a more engaged father. I could use this podcasting platform as an opportunity to talk with highly successful men. They can give me coaching and then I can just broadcast it to everybody else like I was doing with Wealth Anatomy, my previous podcast. So that's what we did. In 2015, we launched Order of Men. Now at the time, and I'm trying to tie this all in for you, but at the time, people said, oh man, what a waste. Like you've been doing this podcast and you wasted all that time and you're not doing it anymore. And my, rea my, my reaction to that was, it wasn't a waste at all. If I hadn't have done that, then if I hadn't have recorded those CDs, walked into Staples and bought those blank CDs, I remember I even went in and had uh, a photo shoot so I could get a picture of myself and then I had it edited and then I put it on the CD itself and I had a designer take care of it. Like if I wouldn't have done all of that, that wouldn't have led to me buying the microphone, which wouldn't have led to me doing the Wealth Anatomy podcast, which wouldn't have led to me doing 20 episodes to cut my teeth, which wouldn't have led me to the Order of Man podcast. So to answer your question specifically, what do you do? You take the first step, whatever that is. Maybe that's coming up with a name or securing a social media site or a website uh, or incorporating or reaching out to somebody and, and trying to get some coaching or consulting uh, or just journaling and documenting or going so, through some workflows. Just take the first step because you never know where it's going to lead and you continue to evolve and grow and expand and open your mind to new possibilities and new technologies that present themselves. And you're going to look back five years from now 
And one of two things is going to happen at that point. You're going to say to yourself, wow, look how far I've come in that time frame," Or you're going to say, I really wish I would have started five years ago. Mm. So I'd rather fail, mess up. And I've messed up. I've messed up on the, on the path. You know, I've made some hires that weren't necessarily good. Um, I, I bought some merchandise that I ended up eating the cost on. Like I've made some missteps, but I'd rather have those missteps than look back in five years and have the regret of not throwing my hat in the ring. I think the reason most people don't take that initial step is because they don't think they can, well, there's a couple layers here. I'll talk about both of them. One of the reasons people don't take the initial step is because they can't do it to the degree that they'd like, right? So they'll say things like, man, I really want to start a podcast, but gosh, order of man, like it's so big right now, or Joe Rogan or Jocko or one of these other podcasts. Like they're so big right now that uh, if I can't do it like that, I guess I won't do it at all. It's like that, you know, like a child, does a child ever say like, I'm not going to try to walk because I see all these adults around me running and and there's that guy that ran a marathon. So like, I can't do that. So I guess I'll just sit here in my diaper and crawl around for eternity. No, that kid doesn't care. He's like, I want to walk. So he gets up and he walks and he falls a thousand times before he gets this thing right. Mm. It's just, it's, it's what we do. So, so that's, that's one thing is that they're, because they can't do it to the degree that they'd ultimately like, they don't do it at all. The other side of that is fear. And we can talk more about that, but people are very, very afraid of uh, perception from others. And that keeps a lot of people from throwing their hat in the ring. Mm. Yeah. And it's like everyone started at episode one, right? Like Joe Rogan didn't start at 1236 or whatever. And have you seen his first episodes? They were like the most raw thing ever. They were pixelated right. and, yeah, and terrible. They're horrendous. They're, yeah. they're absolutely horrendous. And he's probably embarrassed to some degree about them. And rightfully so. Like if you weren't embarrassed of your first thing, you waited way too long to get it going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we've talked about when we did our 100th, we were like, man, it was up till this point when they weren't really that great and right. are still getting better. They're, they'll never be perfect. And that's where right. we accepted perfection doesn't, it doesn't happen because- you, you don't peak, you just always improve. Right. I mean, and I even so, look at like our studio. Uh, when we moved here to Maine, um, my audio is really echoey. I'm like, man, I got to get that figured out. And I'm even looking at the lighting right now. It's like really dark. I just bought these lights. I didn't even turn them on because I forgot I had them. <laughs> I just bought these studio lights because I'm like, oh, I need to improve the, the, the brightness in my video. And then, you know, you can see my office. Like I got my bookshelf, but like, mm-hmm. right, like right here and right here, you can see like it's not – it's the paint's not even complete, right? You can see it right there. You can see it hanging out right there. Like I need to put trim on. I need to paint that. Just move in the right direction. Everything doesn't have to be perfect, but it does have to be forward progressing. And I think, you know, if there's one thing I'm good at, it's just putting my head down and taking the next step, the next step, the next step. And again, you look back in five years and you're like, man, look what we've created just by taking one step, then another, then another. I've got a friend, Sal Priscilla, um, he and Andy Priscilla run first form. They do supplements. Mm-hmm. A lot of people know about them. Um, his, his, one of his catchphrases that I just resonate with so much is left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. That's how you move. Yeah. And it's, to your point about just getting started, it's like no decision is worse than the wrong decision. Cause at least you know, it won't work. Um, yeah, it's, where it's like, or, or you're just, you stand still. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of regret that comes from not acting. Like you're, you're, you're probably not going to regret to the degree your mess ups that you will your inaction. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not going to say you're not going to regret your mess ups. You certainly right. will. 
but you won't regret them as much as you not throwing your hat in the ring and doing what you want to be doing. Mm -hmm. So since you started Order of Man, what uh, business-wise, what's kind of your, your growth look like? Is it just you? Um, do you have other people that work on it? And then I'm also interested, and we can just throw percentage, maybe in terms of revenue gr growth as well. Uh, how has that been over time since you kind of started and any like key elements you can really attribute that to? Yeah, I mean, revenue just continues to exponentially increase and it has been over the past five years. Uh, we started, like I said, in, in March of 2015, and we didn't make our first dime until November of 2015. So uh, it, it took us a little while to get going. And that first month, I think we made, I want to say we made $1,000 because I had started a course. I charged $100 for a 90-day a course. Actually, it was a 90? It's either 90 or 120 days. I can't remember. It was $100. It was, it was way underpriced. <laughs> but I didn't know. Like, I didn't know what I was doing. So I'm like, oh, $100, that sounds good. And I made it available to 12 people. And we had 12 people sign up overnight. So I made, you know, that 1200 bucks. And that was, that was a proof of concept to me. I remember telling my wife, well, I remember two things vividly. I remember the very first person that signed up and I was really appreciative, but at the same time, I'm like, what the hell is this guy doing? Like, he doesn't even know me or what we're doing. Like this guy's insane that he would pay me money to put something together or to offer him something that I didn't have fully put together. And I, I remember that. And he's still with us, by the way. He was our very first member to sign up. I remember sending him an email and it says, hey man, thanks for believing in me. This was one person, now it's two people. And I still have the email. I saved it. He sent it to me not too long ago and he's like, man, remember this email? It's crazy. That's awesome. Yeah, and you, you look back five years, you're like, whoa, that is a crazy time. So I remember that. And then the other thing I remember is telling my wife, I'm like, hey, you know that course I said I was going to do? She's like, yeah, I sold out of it. And she's like, what? I'm like, yeah, I sold the 12 spots. And uh, it's not that she didn't believe in me before, but she just didn't know. Like, she just didn't know. She's like, you're, you're doing what? Like you have this successful financial planning practice and, you're, and you're, you're doing well with it. And now you want to start like some podcast to help men be men. Like I don't, I don't really get it, but I'd built up enough relationship capital with her that she was like, Okay, well, give it a try. Good luck. But I don't think she fully wrapped her head around it and got behind me until she realized, oh, like this is a real thing. This is legitimately a business that you can operate. Even though it was $1,200, which, you know, wasn't even going to cover our mortgage at the time. It's like, okay, well, cool. Like this is something legitimate here. Um, and I, maybe I forgot your initial question, but it's, you were talking about revenue growth, right? Mm -hmm. And, and yeah. any like key elements that you saw really attribute to your, your growth over the years. Yeah. Okay. So, so since that time, you know, we've, we've increased thousands and thousands of percent income wise. I mean, it's just grown exponentially. And what would attribute to that? I would say that the generic answer would just be hyper consistency. Like we just, we don't, we don't miss things. We've done over 500 podcasts now, and I have not ever missed a single podcast episode. There was one that I almost missed, and we were here on the East Coast. This is before I lived here. Me and, and Kip Sorensen, who runs, uh, who co-hosts one of our shows with me, and it was like 10 or 10:30 at night. We were at a jujitsu training, a week-long jujitsu training. I'm like, Kip, I forgot the Friday or the the Wednesday episode or the Friday episode. He's like, Wait, what? And I said, I need you to skip training and come record with me. 
And he's like, okay. So he skipped training and we set up my podcast equipment in our bunk that we were, we were staying in and we stayed up till, you know, 11, 1130. And right as we got done, put it in the editor, it was probably raw and, and the audio wasn't great. And I just hit publish. Man, we haven't missed a single episode. That's the kind of consistency it takes to be successful. Like I, I, I've said before, I'm, I'm not talented or smart enough to have the luxury of being inconsistent. So consistency in my mind makes up for lack of connections, lack of capital, lack of intelligence, whatever mm -hmm. that it, these other factors that are important, you can make up for it with consistency. Another component is being polarizing and not for the sake of being polarizing, but just being willing to stand behind something, even if it's not popular. Because there are so many people that are just willing to waffle and kind of go to and fro with the waves and wherever popular media and culture is taking them and, and regurgitate the same bullet points. And then all of a sudden, somebody's scrolling through their Facebook feed or their Instagram feed and they're reading the same shit they read yesterday and the same things they read the year before. And then all of a sudden, they see this bearded guy who's saying something that they've always believed but never had the balls to say. And it stops them. Like, mm -hmm. whoa, what? That guy's not supposed to say that, but he's right. Finally, somebody's saying it. And so being able to have the conviction and the courage to stand behind what you believe is something that stops people in their tracks and is very, very refreshing in a world that really likes to waffle around and, and appease uh, the masses. So those are, those are two, two strategies. Tactically, the Facebook group was huge for us. Um, I started the Facebook group about a year into Order of Man, and man, that thing just blew up. I think we've got 64, 65,000 members of our Facebook group. Wow. Yeah, and the beauty of that is that there's 65,000 guys in there that are having conversations, directing, like I use that as feedback and data. I'm like, mm, what, are, what are they talking about? Oh, this seems popular. Maybe I ought to do a podcast episode or, or talk about this specific thing. So there's men in there that are having conversations that I would have never thought to have had I not had the Facebook group. And then of course, Facebook group funnels into our events and it funnels into merchandise sales. You know, like I've got a hat on. So like merchandise sales comes from that. Uh, it funnels into our events and everything that we're doing. So it goes podcast, Facebook group, and then you start to get to the individual offerings that we have available. Facebook group is huge. Obviously, the podcast was, was huge as well because it's a search engine. Uh, getting high-level guests on my podcast, getting on other high-level shows. Like I was just on London Real, uh, and we had a huge spike in listeners and uh, followers and people that connected just because I was on that show. So there's some tactical, practical tips that you can use. How, uh, how do you find yourself reaching those people that are you know, higher up, harder to reach, um, have huge, huge audiences where everyone's trying to get at them? Um, how do you find yourself getting access to those people to kind of help you along the way? Lost you guys there for a minute. Um, my well, I'll just cut out. Yeah, no worries. I was just asking uh, how you kind of go about getting access to those people that might be harder to reach. Uh, okay. A little higher up there, maybe, because um, I know some people are like, oh, they'll never see my message. Like, and it's like, well, try, but sometimes you still get lost in the mix, right? So, yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess how do you find yourself finding access to those people? Yeah. So, 
when I started in the financial planning practice, um, the guy that hired me said, okay, here's what we need to do, to do. And he gave me this exercise where I needed to write down people that I knew. I needed to write down their names and I needed to come up with 200 of them. So I went through 200 names, which was a stretch at the time. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. So I wrote down these 200 names and I gave him the list. And I said, okay, here's my 200 names. He's like, okay, good. Now I want you to call them all and ask if they'll sit down with you to talk about their money. I'm like, uh, excuse me? <laughs> and he's like, I'll give you, I'll give you a, a, a sales pitch or a, a script that you can use. I'm like, uh, okay. So what I did subconsciously is I created a chicken list in my mind. And the chicken list was the five to 10% of the people on the list. I'm like, I'm not going to call them because I thought, I don't know, I too, thought too highly of them or thought that they were above me or they were more sophisticated at the time than I was prepared for. I came up with all these reasons in my head. So I call the 90%, the 80, 90% and I work through that list and then I get down and I'm like, Hey, you know, I've called all these people and here's the results of that, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> and He's like, okay, now I want you to call more people and start asking for referrals from the people that you've met with. I'm like, I don't know who else I'm going to talk to. And he's like, well, surely you know some more people. I'm like, yeah, I guess I do. So then I started digging into my chicken list and that was the thing I was afraid of. But what I found is that I had made a bigger deal of it in my mind than those individuals ever made a deal of it. Most of them met with me. Some of them didn't, but they weren't rude or anything like that. So... I sat down with these people. A lot of them started to do business with me. Some of them said, man, I wish you would have called me a week ago. I'm like, yeah, I wish I would have too. If I wasn't afraid, I would have because <laughs> they worked with another advisor in the meantime. So it's like we make these things up bigger than our minds. Uh, I remember about a year into the podcast, <clears throat> um, Jocko had just come out with his new book, uh, Extreme Ownership. Mm -hmm. And people always said, man, like how did you get Jocko? How did you get Jocko in your podcast? I just asked him on Twitter. <laughs> I just wrote a message on Twitter, said, at Jocko, hey, I love what you're doing. I respect your message, and I think I can help you sell some books. Let's get you on the podcast. And he wrote back in infamous now Jocko lingo, you know, something like Roger that or something, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> His check. Yeah, check. His yeah. baby check, yeah. Right. <laughs> so uh, we connected via DM. And he's like, yeah, let's, let's do it. And had him on the podcast. We had, uh, I mean, we've had so many great guys. We've had like Ted Nugent on the podcast. Now what? love him or love him or hate him. Like he's, he's a character, right? Yeah. He's, he's people know who he is. I'm like, I had a friend who, who said, Hey, you know, like I can introduce you to Ted. I thought he was full of crap. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. And like two minutes later, he's on the phone with Ted Nugent. He's like, Hey, you should go on this guy's podcast. <laughs> I got a podcast with, with Ted because people know people. I was willing to ask. Like I just was willing to put myself out there. You're not going to put yourself in a worse position by asking these individuals. So the first tip I'd give you is just ask. Mm. That's it. Just ask. Give you another great example. Um, Jordan Peterson. Now, he hasn't been on the podcast, unfortunately. That time is coming. I'm sure of it. But uh, I had a podcast scheduled him with him right after that Kathy Newman interview. Mm. because I reached out to him. You remember that Kathy Newman interview? Oh yeah. I've, I've yeah. Seen yeah. That's kind of like, he really blew up. I mean, he was pretty prolific before that, but he blew up after that Kathy Newman interview mm -hmm. and rightfully so. Um, so I had a podcast scheduled with him. Unfortunately, 
his team wasn't able to make the things work and we had, I don't want to get into that, but we weren't able to make it work. But initially we had the podcast set and uh, people say, oh man, I knew you were going to interview Jordan Peterson. How'd you get that? I, I sent an email. <laughs> oh, what'd the email say? Like, can you send me the script? No, it just, <laughs> it just said, hey, Jordan, or, or I think I said, Dr. Peterson, I'm a huge fan of your work. I like what you're doing. I see you have a new book coming out. Here's what we do. Uh, I think my guys would really be interested in what you're sharing. Would you care to share it on the podcast? His uh, book manager, publicist, or media person reached out and said, yeah, let's get him scheduled. Like, this isn't a secret, guys. You just got to ask. And that email script will be $49.99 at order. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, now, let's talk about maybe some, some more tips because that's not always going to work, right? right. You're going you're gonna to swing and miss on a lot of those. And that's okay. That's like Mike Rowe, for example, if there was a perfect person to come on my podcast, it would be Mike Rowe. If anybody knows Mike Rowe or has a connection, let me know because we need to make that work. His team has rejected me four times. Mm. I can't figure out why, but they have. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if there's one podcast he should go on, it should be mine. But it's not for whatever reason. Cool. I'm not offended about that. I'm not put out by that. I'm not, look, if he's going to come on, it's not going to make or break my podcast. If he doesn't come on, it's not going to make or break my podcast. Like you're going to swing and miss sometimes. And that's okay. Just keep swinging. I mean, nobody's keeping score here. You're the only one who's keeping score. And if you're tallying up all these times you miss, you're going to be less likely to take the swings because it's embarrassing to take the misses and, 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 or take the swing and miss. Practically, you have... I'm hesitant to share it because if you don't understand the context, it's, it sounds maybe cold or calculated, but I, I want to share it because I think most people understand. You have tiers of guests or potential guests, right? So you have like your C levels, your B levels, and your A levels. That's how I break it up. I'm not talking about worth or anything like that. So don't send you guys or me a message and say, I can't believe you'd like categorize people. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. What we're talking about here. Okay. Label you're labeling. No, I'm just using this as a framework. Okay. So a C level guest would be somebody who, you know, maybe they're just getting into podcasting uh, or they're, they're, they're just getting started putting their message out there. Not a very big audience, but you know, they're, they, they seem like they have some things that align with what you're doing. And, and those, are, those are fine. Those are probably people that you are connected with already or have a very close connection. But these aren't people who will blow you off because they're trying to promote their thing and they haven't quite reached the level of notoriety that some of these others have. So that's sure. a C-level guest. Then you have a B-level guest. And a B-level guest is somebody who hasn't reached like Jordan, uh, Joe Rogan, Jocko, like they haven't reached that level yet, but they're starting to gain some traction. A lot of people know who they are. They're pretty prolific on social media. Their message obviously resonates with people because they've fired up their base of people who listen. That's a B-level guest. And then you have the Joe Rogans and the Jordan Petersons and the Mike Rose and the Jockos who are like your A-level guest. Okay. We all know what that looks like. A-level guests are good because you gain some notoriety with an A-level guest. The problem with an A-level guest is they're probably not going to share your episode mm -hmm. because there's no reason for them to. Like they've already reached the pinnacle or are at the top of their game. Like what's, what's really in it for them, right, to, to share. They'll take, the, they'll take the publicity all day long. 
mm-hmm. but they may not share it on their own unless you make it easy. That's a whole other conversation. Then you have your C-level guests who they'll share because they're amped up and hyped up, but they're sharing it with like their mom and their brother because that's all who's listening to their stuff right now. Mm-hmm. So it's like, cool, C-level shared. Like, I don't want like they didn't, they didn't have an audience to share with. B-level guests are where it's at. Like, I would consider myself a B-level guest. Like, a lot of people know what we're doing, haven't reached that astronomical presence yet, certainly aren't just getting started where we're not well-known. We're, we're a B-level guest. B-level guests are good because they're proactive in building up their message. They're proactive in building credibility within their own audience. And so, they have a message. They know how to communicate effectively. They obviously know how to do it in a way that riles people up and gets them excited about what they're doing. And they're willing to share because they're trying to build their own notoriety and credibility. So when you're meeting with guests and and trying to get these people on the podcast, look, starting at a C-level guest is perfectly acceptable. When I started the Wealth Anatomy podcast, it was guys that I kind of knew. And then I worked from there. And when I started Order of Men, it was guys that I already had a connection with and I worked from there. But what I learned in my financial planning practice is that you constantly want to be elevating the caliber of guests that you have on or in the financial planning practice, the caliber of prospects you're meeting with. Mm. Again, not talking about worth, okay? I need to make sure I continue to throw that disclaimer out there. So the best way to get to the from C to B and B to A is to be intentional about it. So a lot of guys will say, like, hey, Ryan, do you know anybody who, you know, I could have on my podcast? No. The answer is always no to that question because I don't know who you're looking for. And what I do, if you don't help me qualify it, this is like sales referral asking 101, is if I don't know how to qualify it, I will start doing the qualifying, right? If you don't give me the criteria, I'll create the criteria myself. So, if you guys said, hey, Ryan, like, do you know anybody who can get on the podcast? I might think of like five names but I'll start disqualifying them. I'm like, ah, oh, that guy's probably not interested or, ah, oh, that guy's story probably wouldn't resonate with these guys' audience. And I, you just missed all of that opportunity. Instead, what you should be doing is moving from C to B. So you're moving up the rung on the ladder. Mm-hmm. So now you're at a C level guest and you think, okay, well, here's, here's some B level guests that I want to have on. Ryan knows these guys or my other guests know these guys. Ask specifically for those individuals because it's more likely that you're going to get that. So outside of asking, be intentional about increasing the caliber of the guests that you're getting on and then become better and and more proficient at explaining your value proposition. Like why should these guys come on? You know, when you reach out to me, why is it in my best interest to come on your podcast? Because what a lot of people will do is they'll say, Hey, you know, I'm just getting started, but like we, it would do really well for us if you come on my podcast. Look, I can appreciate the balls it takes to ask somebody to come on a podcast, but if all you're worried about is building up your audience or building up your thing and you don't have any sort of uh, thought into how it might be able to help me, like, why would I do that? Like, this has got to be a mutually beneficial relationship. Mm-hmm. So when you approach these individuals, it's not about you. Yes, it may help you and that's cool. That's a byproduct of me being able to serve my guests. So when I reached out to Jocko, you heard me. What did I say? I said, hey, man, I know you have this book coming out. I think my guys would resonate with it, and I think we could sell some of your books. Well, what's he interested in? He just wrote a book, so he's interested in selling books. Right. I had, uh, do you guys follow UFC at all? 
A little bit. Not, so not you know who TJ, TJ Dillashaw? Do you know who TJ Dillashaw mm-hmm. is? Yep. Yeah, I mean, he got in some trouble. I think it was last year with uh, – he got um, – he got busted for some performance enhancing drugs. And so that was, that kind of put a little black mark on. I think he's rectified that and handled it very, very well, but it was before his fight with Henry Cejudo. And, uh, I saw that he had a course coming out. I think it was called, I can't even remember what it's called. It was a course that he had that came out. It was like a training course, physical fitness training course. And I reached out to him on Instagram and I'm like, Hey man, like I, I know you're busy. This is fight week for you. You've got a fight in less than 10 days. Uh, but I see that you have this training program out. You're doing some videos. Look, my guys want to be fit. They want to be strong. I think I could take your message. We could have a killer conversation and we can wrap that into it. And I think I could introduce people to what is you're doing to my surprise. Guess what he said? Cool. Let's do it. That's a roundabout way about the way he said it and the way it worked out. But ultimately he said, yeah, okay, let's do it. That makes sense. So if you want to reach out to good guests, find a way to serve them and why it's in their best interest to meet with you. That is a really long answer, but I hope there's some stuff in there that you can take away. That was awesome. Very valuable. That was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I'd like to shift gears. You you talked about jujitsu, things like that. And I know you post a lot about being in in that space. What has that, well, how'd you get into that? And then what has that kind of brought and taught you as well doing that? Yeah. I'm always hesitant to talk about jujitsu because I'm just getting started. Okay. And so... I mean, I'll talk about it with you, but I, I'm, I'm just a little bit hesitant because there's guys that have been in the game for significantly longer than I have who are much more qualified to talk about it than I am. <laughs> Fair enough. And I feel like if I, if I pretend like I know anything about what I'm doing, then I'm, I'm either mocking the, the practice or slapping these guys in the face, and I certainly don't want to do that. So from my experience, I mean, I'm just going to throw this out here. Mm-hmm. I'm a beginner. I'm learning. I try to be humble about it. And I try to keep an open mind. I try to keep my ego out of the way. And ultimately, I realize that there are a million people significantly more qualified to talk about the path of jujitsu than me. Um, but that being said, this is something that I've got involved with over the past six months. Uh, I was introduced to it to, through two friends. One is Matthew Arrington. He is uh, my business partner with regards to the events that we run, we partnered up on those things. He's been a longtime supporter of what we do. In fact, even before we started at Order of Man, I remember sitting down with him at Applebee's talking about what it is we wanted, what I want to create. And he's always been a supporter of what we do. But he had been trying to talk me into it for a long time. And then my friend Pete Roberts with Origin and Pete and, and Brian Littlefield, those guys are partnered up with Jocko. Uh, just a great friend. Those guys got me introduced and involved. Um, I started last year and then I took about six or eight months off and didn't do a single thing with it. And then over the past six months, I've been very, very involved, but it's been good for me. You know, I've, I've got to have a physical outlet. Um, it's been good to get my butt kicked, uh, both figuratively and literally. (laughs) And, you know, it puts things in perspective and it gives you something to focus on and it allows you to burn off some of that energy and allows that level of competition that I seem to thrive off of. And I know myself well enough that it's a activity that really speaks to what I need and how I can uh, be excited about just life in general. It's Mm -hmm. been a very rewarding path over the past six months now. 
Don't ask me if I know what I'm doing because the answer is certainly no. <laughs> it's all good. That, that's cool because <laughs> we, we talk about having like your pockets of peace, like whatever that outlet is, whether it's painting mm-hmm. or, or jujitsu or just going to the gym and, and pushing some weights around. Uh, like you need to keep your sanity too. And it's, yeah. it's funny because I got a patient. He, uh, he had a wrestling background, but he, does, he just recently got into jujitsu. And he had to show me an example of what happened to him. And he grabbed me, he almost threw me. And I just, I felt the force at which yeah. you grapple people. And I was like, Ooh, this is next level shit. Yeah. Well, and every, I think men are probably more guilty of this than women, but we always overestimate our own abilities. Mm. And we think that if we ever get, got into an altercation or needed to step up our game in some capacity that, that we would rise to the, to the situation. Well, that's not how it works. You don't, you don't rise to some dream you have about yourself. You just default back to the training that you have. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'll roll with my kids. For example, I've got four kids, 11, uh, eight, almost nine, six, and three. And I'll roll with them. Even my 11-year-old who's big and strong and physical. And, you know, I toss them around and I'm like, oh, this is easy. <laughs> and then you go, you know, you go to, to, to train with guys who are high level brown and black belts and you know, you take a guy who's smaller than you and he's just throttling you. It's like, it's very humbling. <laughs> it's very humbling to know that a 40 to 50 pound man who's, you know, lighter than you, uh, can tie you up in a pretzel and have his way with you if you wanted yeah. to. So, um, you know, paint, and you said painting, like painting's great, like nothing against painting, but you're never going to get your ass kicked painting. Right. right. <laughs> and everybody needs to get their ass kicked yeah. like often. So, I'm not saying don't do painting, but I'm saying do painting after you get back from jujitsu or from the pickup basketball game mm-hmm. or, you know, especially for men, something that's physical, something that's competitive in nature, uh, something that allows you to channel some of that aggression. Those are all really good things for men. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I know Tim and I were talking before, you've alluded a lot to like your family life and good relationships, like being effective and loving at the same time. How with running a business, do you kind of prioritize or manage that time to where your personal, like Ryan's time has Ryan's time and then you have time with your kids and time with your wife. How do you make sure certain people don't suffer with everything you got going on? I'm going to answer that question. Just give me one second. I just want to turn these lights on because it's getting really dark. Sure. It gets dark at like four o'clock here. So it's getting dark. I just want to turn these lights on so we can see a little better. Hold on one second. Uh Uh-huh. All right. Hopefully that's a little better. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Looks good. Yeah. Yeah. I just got these lights uh, about a week or so ago. So I've, I've been doing a lot more on YouTube and it just made sense to pick these okay. up. So still working them over. Uh, yeah. The work-life balance, right? Mm-hmm. That's a, well, that's an interesting one. You know, it's hard. Um, a lot of guys think they have multiple hats that they need to wear or should be wearing. And th- there's no hats. Like you don't take off your dad hat and then put on your husband hat or take off your husband hat and put on your work hat. Like if there's no congruency between who you are in all aspects of your life, you're running things inefficiently and ineffectively. So I, I learned a while back, like don't, don't put the hats on, like just be you. That's the biggest thing. It's like, I'm, I'm the same here. We're having this conversation. I had some friends over a couple of days ago. We were having the same conversations in the same manner. My demeanor was the same. Like I'm not putting on a show or anything like that. Like I'm the same across the board for better or worse. Like there's things I need to work on, but I'm the same guy across the board. Um, but what I would say is boundaries are really, really important and, and not enough people have them. 
like, like one boundary I have is when I'm recording a podcast, like right now mm-hmm. is I've got this little door hang that says recording in process. And I literally hang it on the outside door of my office and my kids know, and my wife that if that's there, dad's recording, like don't go bug him unless there's like a life or death situation, in which case they have permission to do that. Cause we've got talked it. about it. And that's the biggest thing is communication. You know, if you, if you've got boundaries in place, but you haven't communicated what the boundaries are like, Hey, I'm here. I'm going to be working from nine to five. And then after five, I'm all your guys's. But like, if you don't communicate or, Hey, if that thing's on the door or my door is closed, don't come in. Cause I might be on a podcast and I don't communicate that to the people who are impacted by that. And then they come in. I don't have a right to be upset with them. That's not mm-hmm. their fault. That's my fault for failing to communicate the expectation. Mm-hmm. So communication is a very, very important thing. So you have to establish what those boundaries are. You have to communicate the boundaries to those who would be impacted by the boundaries. And then you have to maintain them. And that's a hard thing to do. So a small example, my studio, my office is here in my house. So my four kids are downstairs right now. My wife's here all day. They home, we homeschool. So the kids are running around. Like everything's here, centrally located. And uh, my wife, this was, this was several months ago. I was working. I was in here. The door was open. So no big deal. And I love seeing my wife when she comes in and says hello. She comes in and she says, hey, the trash needs to go out. Can you take the trash out? Like normally I'd say, yeah, I'll go take the trash out because it's really not that big a deal. It's really not for me to take a second away from the computer, grab the trash bag, throw in the trash and come back out. It's not a big deal. I said no to her. And she's like, wait, what? And I said, no, I can't take out the trash right now because I'm working. And we, we talked about that. I'm working from nine to five, but at five, I'll take the trash out. And she was bothered by that, but we communicated that standard. Now she knows that I'm willing to uphold it. It's not a comfortable conversation, but we had that conversation and she knows that I'm a man of my word. And also you have to take the trash out at five when you say you're going to, (laughs) because you can't uphold the boundary on one side, but not uphold their side of the deal either. Sure. You have to uphold both sides. So you can't expect that your kids aren't going to bug you in the office. And then when you say, Hey, I'm going to be done at five 30 and I'm not going to be on my phone. I'm going to hang out with you guys. And then you're on your phone all night. Well, that's out of integrity. You upheld what was convenient, not what was prudent. So have the boundaries, whatever they are, communicate them, get on the same page. This isn't about being an authoritarian either. You know, like there's things that my wife, uh, we've had conversations about with regards to boundaries. Like not everything that I do is like, this is gospel. This is the way it is and the way it goes. No, she's an important part of my life. And I take her input and her needs into consideration. And we come up with answers that are going to serve both of us in the best way possible. I use that input to create something that's a success for both of us. That's awesome. Yeah. I think we, we've talked a lot with downfalls and communication or lack thereof is usually, I mean, I've, ex- I've experienced it too, where it's, oh, didn't say what I need to say properly or effectively to where it's, it was the demise. So that's cool that you have those where, you know, like, hey, from this time to this time, it's work. Um, but that, that's good to, I like how you use boundaries to, to lay the, the field and not using hats. Right. Yeah. You've got to have that congruency in life. I know so many guys who show up based on where they're trying to show up in different ways. And it's just exhausting. These guys are beat (laughs) down and run down because they're trying to be that like one specific thing, which is different than maybe even potentially who they are. Mm -hmm. I think that's why a lot of people are upset with their work 
is because uh, they just they they're miserable there and they feel like they're forced to be there and they're putting on the work hat and what they'd rather be doing is something more significant and meaningful. Uh-huh. I know that's what it was for me, you know, in the financial planning practice. You had talked about earlier stepping out and like what steps did I take and how did I know what I wanted to do. I actually started my podcast while I was doing the financial planning stuff because I could, right? You can, you can do both. Mm-hmm. A lot of people will say, well, you just burn the, burn the boats, burn the bridges. Like why, why? Like I have a mortgage to pay for, you know, I right. got, I got four kids I got to feed. Like I'm not just going to burn the boats and hope everything works out. Like I'm gonna have a plan to do it. And I was losing a lot of the, the meaning and purpose in the financial planning thing. I'd have people like clients call me and they're like, Hey Ryan, I need to, you know, sell some of my assets or re- re- diversify my portfolio or whatever. And when they'd call, I'm like, Oh, I don't want to do this anymore. And I knew at that point that it wasn't good for me. It wasn't good for my clients because I wasn't serving them to the best degree possible. And at that point I knew I gotta, I gotta get out of this thing and pursue something that's more meaningful. And by the way, meaning changes too. Just because it's meaningful now, it doesn't mean that you're, you're obligated to pursue that path indefinitely. People ask me, what's, what's order of man going to look like in five years? I don't know. I don't even know if I'll be doing order of man. As of right now, that's my plan. But if something else begins to interest me and I feel like it might be a cool path and avenue to explore, then I'm going to explore it because I'm going to leave my opportunities open and walk through the doors that I feel are, are interesting and engaging. Yeah. What's, uh, what's the homeschooling like? I know you posted about that prior. You alluded to that too. What's, what's yeah. that been like? Uh, it's, it's been good. My wife does it. She's so amazing and, and talented and just seems like she does so good at everything she tries. Um, yeah, we made that decision. Like I'm not interested in my children being indoctrinated by people who don't hold the same beliefs that I do. And other people said, well, what's the difference? You're indoctrinating them. Yeah, I'm allowed to because I'm their father. <laughs> right. yeah. That's the point. One small like, detail. I, right. Like I'm supposed to show them life through my lens. Like who else's lens would I show it through? So mm-hmm. is my, is my fathering indoctrination? Yeah, of course. That's the point. Like I want them to have these values, these thoughts, these behaviors, these beliefs as the foundation for the way they live their life. And I felt like uh, we were hindered in doing that if we ship our kids off to school for six, seven, eight hours a day. And look, I'm not putting anybody down who does that. We did that for uh, seven years, six, six years, six, seven years, and had actually really good experiences with my kids as teachers and their experience. I don't hold anything against those individuals. This is just a decision that we made that we want to be more involved in their learning process. And it's been very rewarding. Uh, We teach real world skills. My oldest son um, is very aware of what I'm doing. He's actively engaged in the business. He ships our orders. In fact, just before I jumped on the call, he, he just, he was down there. He filled 15 orders today. Um, Got them boxed up, put a little card in there, taped them all up, printed out the shipping labels, slapped him on the box and then him and I will go to the, uh, the post office tomorrow and drop him off. These are the types of skills. As we're doing that, we're having conversations about postage and running a business and marketing and the girls he likes and what, you know, what, what he's struggling with. And it's just a, it's a great way to be involved and really the way I think that it was intended and it should be. It's like you should be keenly involved. And if your kids go to a public school or a private school somewhere outside of the home, that, that's fine as long as you're engaged when you're there. Like you should be supporting 
that educational process outside of the classroom. Going back to business, like the entrepreneurship aspect, I think people have on the outside looking in, they see owning a business entrepreneurship is something cool and fun and trendy. I want to ask you like, what are some of the, the hard parts about entrepreneurship that a lot of people looking on the outside and don't see things that you've experienced that you've had to overcome? Well, I mean, first it is cool and fun and exciting. Like it is that mm-hmm. a lot of people say, Oh, you know, like I, just, I want to be my own boss. You are your own boss. Mm-hmm. Whether you work for somebody or you work for yourself, like you're your own boss, you're in charge of your life. So it's your call. So I, I think you might as well do something fun with it. I was walking in the field the other day and I was thinking about my oldest son again, 11 years old, man, in seven years, he's gone seven years. That's nothing that will go so fast. And, uh, it's a little frightening at times, but as far as your question, um, what's hard about entrepreneurship is just showing up every day. You like, we've been led to believe that entrepreneurship is sipping my ties on the beach somewhere and, you know, really enjoying this jet setter life. And you can have elements of that. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. You should, if you can take advantage of it. A couple of years ago, my family and I went to Hawaii for uh, almost three weeks and spent Christmas and New Year's there. And I still worked. People think, oh, what, that's an amazing vacation. And it was amazing, but I still worked. I got up and I worked for two hours every single morning before my family got up. I was there. I was in the process of getting my book ready. So I was writing Uh, I had to do some podcasting while I was there. I had to answer emails and make sure all the shipping and all that stuff was taken care of. And so running a business is a challenge because it doesn't ever turn off. It's for me. Yeah, it's all just on my phone and it never shuts off. I mean, I could shut it off, I guess, but the work never stops. And, and, And it's hard. That's why I say boundaries are important because when you're on your own boss, it, it muddies it, right? It muddles that line. Because if you're an employee, what do you do? You punch out, right? And then you leave and then you wash your hands of it until you go in at seven or eight o'clock the next morning. And you don't even think about it, right? Mm -hmm. But when you're an entrepreneur, it's all you think about. Like when I'm eating dinner tonight and my kids are trying to tell me their stories of their day, like I'm sure I'm going to be thinking, oh, I wonder how many orders we did and did he do those right? And then how many podcast downloads did we get? And oh, did that guy who I wanted to have on the podcast ever get back with me? It never ends. Mm. so you got to protect yourself by having those boundaries in place and then upholding them yeah i had to ask tim last uh time we met for just our podcast him and i i was like hey man do i annoy you with how much shit i send you all the time because like (laughs) it'll be an idea here like oh i think we should do this say what do you think between these two things and then it's like i mean we both still have day jobs so i know he'll get back to it eventually but i'm like i had to ask just like do i send too much shit yeah Uh, because to your point that's that's what it. Did, so like what did he say? What did you say? He said, no, he loves it. Okay. Whenever I come across an article or a, a podcast clip that I think someone specifically would take advantage of, I love sending it to him. So yeah, he does a good job doing that with me. So I love yeah, it. man, if you're passionate and excited about it, like I I'm saying it like it's so hard. It never ends, but I like it. Right. I, you know, people say, how do you post so much on social media? I like being on social media. Mm-hmm. That That's why. Yeah. I, I could never do that. Nobody's asking you to. I just like being on there. I like sharing stories. I like communicating a message that's deeply meaningful to me. I like helping people in that capacity. So it's not a drag to post on social media. Some, sometimes it is. Like there's some days I'm like, I don't want to do this, mm-hmm. but I have to do it because I'm a professional. Like I'm not an amateur kind of like winging it and doing it when I feel like this isn't a hobby 
for me. This is, uh, this is a business. This is an organization. This is a movement. And I'm professional. So I run it like a professional. Yeah. yeah. And it's like people, oh, what do you do on the weekends? I'm going to work. Yeah. It's like, what do you mean you're going to work? I'm going to do what I want to do. Right. Uh, and, and isn't this so interesting, this world that we live in? You know, I, um, whenever I'm out and about, you know, I, I maybe casually bump into somebody or they, they might, you know, kind of know me or some, maybe it's a neighbor that, that we don't, we're not really connected. They'll say, so, so, you know, like, what do you do for work? And I dread the question because people don't understand what I do. I'm like, oh, I have a podcast and we talk about men's issues and they're like, oh, cool. Like, so that, that's awesome. What's your real job? <laughs> it's like, this is my job. You know, oh, where do you work from the house? Yeah. Really? And, and here's the other one. You make money doing that? Yeah, we make a living doing it just like you make money when you go to work and you do your job. Yeah, the insults are free. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yep, exactly. So it's, I mean, it's fine. People don't, people don't understand, but that's, that's okay. Yeah, right. I, you know, actually, if they understood more, uh, maybe I wouldn't have a job. It's mm -hmm. the, uh, the mystery and, and the barrier to entry that, that keeps this thing pretty exclusive and keeps the, the ones who are willing to treat it professionally, keeps them rising to the top. That's a good point. Um, so I know we've taken some of your time already, but just want to take a few more minutes. One, what manly thing am I not doing correct where I can't grow a beard like that? Because <laughs> I, I can get the goatee down. It's, I get blotchy on the sides. And it's, it's nasty, man. It's not yeah, good. man. Just, just work with what you've got. Like, <laughs> people ask me that all the time. How can I grow a beard? Like you just stop shaving. Like, there's literally <laughs> one step. And you know, if you can grow a beard, grow it. If you can grow a goatee, Grow the goatee. I'll get like these islands of, of yeah. skin thick. I'm like, so I would say like give it a fair shake because yeah. people don't know this, but your beard hairs and your, the hair on your head, mm -hmm. it grows at different speeds. Mm. So like your goatee, like even in high school, I had a goatee like very similar to yours. I never had the stash, just like the bottom. Got it. And it always grew really, really well, but the sides were patchy and the mustache was patchy. That's because the hair here and here grows slower than the hair on my chin. So like get, so first things first, give it a fair shake. Got and then after it. you give it a fair shake, if it's not working and it just looks like pubes on your face, <laughs> then it, just shave it off. Like guys, like they fight so hard. Guys, having a beard has nothing to do with manliness. Right, right. I like having a beard because I like having a beard. Like I, I like it. People talk about it. Uh, it's a good conversation starter. Mm -hmm. it, it sets me apart. I, I just like having it like, but I don't think I'm more or less of a man because I do or don't have a beard. Right. Just work with what you've got. It's cool. No. It's fine. I, I know I look better with like a four o'clock shadow. It's all good. Exactly. Yeah. So just own, own it. Just own uh, it. Tim, any other questions for Ryan before our, our final questions here? Yeah. I want to touch on one more quick thing. Going back to the social media aspect and the professionalism that you give off. Um, how do you approach the people? Cause you have a, a fairly big following on your Instagram specifically. How do you approach the people who comment on your photos who may not like fully understand what you're trying to communicate mm -hmm. and kind of come off as not hateful, but like, uh, like a hater type of comment, like people who, how do you approach yeah. those type of people? Yeah. Well, I'm not always the best at this. You know, like I lose my cool. Um, I can't even remember. I made a post, I think it was last week and, oh, it was, you know what it was? It was a post of my son doing a deadlift and um, 
he had a PR on his deadlift. Like it was nice. like a 30 pound PR. He went from, I think 135 to 165. It was like a good PR. Hell yeah. Yeah. And I took a video of it and I was excited and I posted it and all the guys came out and like, well, you know, he's rounding his back and his heels are on the whatever. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> like, and, and I was like, just my thought was shut the hell up. Like just enjoy this for what it is. Like I yeah. realized that there's things that he needs to work on in mechanics. And I said that to a few guys and they're like, man, you're really sensitive. I'm like, dude, I'm just sick of like everybody with the unsolicited feedback. But you know what? That's what I'm exposing myself to. Like that's like when you put yourself out there, that's what you're going to get. And I caught myself fairly quickly. I'm like, yeah, you know what? You're right. I'm sorry. I shouldn't handle it that way. There's, there's people that, that fall into two camps on this side of the aisle. There's the people who maybe appear like haters, but they're like genuinely just questioning. They just suck at communication. Mm. So it comes back, it comes off as like dickheaded, but they're not. And then there's people who are just miserable human beings and they hate life and everything that you stand for. Mm. And sometimes they look the same. Mm. So you need to treat them both the same. And if I know without a doubt that this is just a, a hateful just miserable person, then I don't respond to that at all. I don't respond to that. If it's somebody who's like, I don't know, this person could be a hater. They could genuinely be asking. I have a one response rule, which means that I share respectfully and politely and sternly if I need to. I think those can go hand in hand. My one response and then I just let it ride from there because I know, and, and I break this rule sometimes and every time I break it, it doesn't work out. Optics are something that I think is very, very important, especially if you're trying to put a message out. So my message is about being responsible and being mature and doing what you need to be doing and being self-sufficient and, and, and rising above the noise and the nonsense. And every time I break my one response rule, I end up trying to like explain myself and then I get more upset and then I say stupid things that are immature it's like, I don't, that's not the path I'm interested in going down. That's not the kind of man I want to be. So I very firmly and politely say what needs to be said. And I just let the chips fall where they may. And I realized that when I do that, it's, it comes across as professional. People see it and they read it and they say, oh, okay, well that makes sense. And other people want to continue to comment. Go ahead. Cause I'm not having that conversation, not here on social media anyways. Mm -hmm. It's not the best place for it. So the one response rule has always served me well. Um, and I, I just, I don't want to get sucked into it. I don't, I don't, I don't enjoy it. it. Distracts me from what I really want to accomplish. And it's portraying a message that's not congruent with what I want to put out into the world. Got it. It's, it's great. I like that. So I just want to ask one more thing, kind of a two part because it came up in, in our conversation as we were going along. Uh, first, I know that you, you have been gracious enough to, to kind of serve us on, on our show. We kind of reached out, didn't, I don't know what we can provide to you, but if there's anything we can do to provide more value to you, um, I, I'd like to, to know that, what we can do. And then two, we always like to know how people want to be remembered when they're gone. Yeah. Um, as far as helping, you know, just, this is a good opportunity. I like coming on your guys' show. I like going on other shows. This is an opportunity to get our message out there. So this is a great way to do it. And I appreciate the opportunity. You know, I look at this as an opportunity just like you guys may. So thank you for that. Um, how do I want to be remembered? I thought about this. I, you know, I want to be remembered as somebody who 
tried everything that they wanted to. That's it. Like, I don't necessarily need to, need to be remembered that I succeeded at everything, that I was good at everything. But what I want people to think about when they think of me is, man, Ryan may not have got it all right, but he was always willing to try everything that came to his mind. That's why we're here in Maine. Like, I didn't know if this, what this was going to be. I didn't know what it held. I didn't know what challenges we'd face. I didn't go into it blindly either. I'm, I'm not stupid. Um, but I didn't know. Like, I didn't know what this held. And yet we had this idea and this thought and this adventure. And I don't ever want to regret not doing something. So, you know, I failed probably more than I think most people because I've taken more swings than most people. And a lot of people are afraid of that. I'm, I'm just not afraid. I want to be remembered for somebody who tried things and let the chips fall where they may kind of let it ride and put it all on the line and made a plan to hopefully it, it would work out in a, in, a, in a meaningful way. And you know what, if it doesn't, even with Maine, if it doesn't work out, people are like, Oh my gosh, like what if it doesn't work? What if you don't like it? What if blah, 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 blah. Just, you, you regroup. Like we just sell it out here and we move back to Utah and like nothing lost. In fact, everything gained. So like you can change, you can pivot, just try things, do things. It's mm-hmm. exciting. Love it. Well, Ryan, thank you so much again for joining us. We really appreciate it, man. This is a real, real treat for us. It's been a blast. Um, fun having you on the show. So thank you so much, man. Yeah. Thanks guys. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, it's, uh, well, it's important work. I think it is. And just you allowing me to share the, share the message on your platform means a lot. Thanks guys. hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. It. I think a lot of people are going to get value. So, uh, good. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. Well, good luck with everything. Enjoy, enjoy time with your family. I know you're rounding that end of business hour time. So right on. have a good Thanks, weekend, guys. dude. Yep. Thank you. See Bye. You.